Exodus chapter 6, reading verses 1 through 30. But the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand he will send them out, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of his land. God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But by, but by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. Say, therefore, to the people of Israel, I am the Lord. And I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you for possession. I am the Lord. Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. So the Lord said to Moses, go in, tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the people of Israel go out of his land. But Moses said to the Lord, Behold, the people of Israel have not listened to me. How then shall Pharaoh listen to me? For I am of uncircumcised lips. But the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave them a charge about the people of Israel and about Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt. These are the heads of their father's houses. The sons of Reuben, the firstborn of Israel, Hanak, Palu, Hezron, and Carmi. These are the clans of Reuben. The sons of Simeon, Jamiel, Jamin, Ohad, Jachin, Zohar, and Shaul, the son of a Canaanite woman. These are the clans of Simeon. These are the names of the sons of Levi, according to their generations. Gershon, Kohath, and Merari, the years of the life of Levi being 137 years. The sons of Gershon, Libni, Shimei, by their, clan, <clears throat> by their clans. The sons of Kohath, Amram, Izhar, Hebron, and Uziel, the years of the life of Kohath being 133 years. The sons of Merari, Malai, and Mushai. These are the clans of the Levites according to their generations. Amram took as his wife Jochebed, his father's sister, and she bore him Aaron and Moses, the years of the life of Amram being 137 years. The sons of Izhar, Korah, Nepheg, and Zikri. The sons of Uziel, Mishael, Elzaphan, and Zithri. Aaron took as his wife Elish, Elish, me, Elisheba, the daughter of Aminadab and the sister of Nashon, and she bore him Nadab, Abihu, Eleazar, and Ithamar. The sons of Korah, Asir, Elkanah, and Abiasaph. These are the clans of the Korahites. Eleazar, Aaron's son, took as his wife one of the daughters of Putiel, and she bore him Phinehas. These are the heads of the fathers' houses of the Levites by their clans. These are the Aaron and Moses to whom the Lord said, Bring out the people of Israel from the land of Egypt by their hosts. It was they who spoke to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, about bringing out the people of Israel from Egypt, this Moses and this Aaron. On the day when the Lord spoke to Moses in the land of Egypt, the Lord said to Moses, I am the Lord. Tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, all that I say to you. But Moses said to the Lord, Behold, I am of uncircumcised lips. How will Pharaoh listen to me? 
I ask you to remain standing with me as we join together in prayer. After prayer, our choir will come for special music and then the preaching of God's word. May God give us understanding in this word that was read as we speak through this text this morning. Let's bow together for prayer. We thank you, Father, for allowing us to be here to hear the reading of your word. We pray that you give us understanding in your word and help us to make right application in our own lives. Minister to us, Lord. Encourage, rebuke, challenge, move in our hearts today to walk in obedience to you. To be an example, models before those who watch us, who see us, and look for hope that we point to you and your goodness and your faithfulness. So we thank you for this service today. We pray, Lord, that you would just use it all for your glory. Hold down any things that would distract us, whether in our presence or even in our minds, and allow us to focus on your truth and bring about from that focus a reliance, a foundation that we can stand in as we trust in you, as we go through the various um, struggles and hardships that we go through in our lives. Open our eyes to who you are so we might glory in you and find our strength in you. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. start this message today. I'd just like to welcome Brian and Heidi back from, they uh, did a couple things. They did a speaking engagement and, uh, and we're glad to, that God could uh, use them for his glory there and that the pastor there at that church was welcoming of them and praise God for that. And then they had a, a, a little short vacation, so glad to have you back after that. Praise God for rest that God gives uh, his people. We have uh, been going in our series in Exodus. In chapter 5, we see Moses um, asking God a question. It seems like he did what God wanted him to do, and it didn't have the result that he expected it to have. And in fact, it's not just that things didn't happen. It's like things got worse. And so he asked God, why did you ever send me? He's questioning God's purpose. He's questioning God's will. He's questioning himself. And we see in chapter 6, God responds to Moses and he reassures him. It strikes me, it starts off with, but the Lord said to Moses. I don't know if we see in that the patience that God has with Moses. He allowed Moses to be able to talk with him, go back and forth with him. It's interesting, when my children were young, we didn't have a lot of back and forth conversations. My instructions were clear and they were expected to be followed. Now, as they got older, I allowed a little more play because I wanted them to learn and understand why I called them to do what I called them to do. It's not that they needed that to be obedient. I felt they needed that to parent later on, to lead. So they'd learn how to lead and why to lead that way. It seems that God is interacting with Moses and he allows a little bit of play there. Because, you know, instead of the word but in chapter 6, verse 1, we could have read so. 
So God just struck him down. So God said, I'm tired of you. Look, I told you what to do. But we see God's patience and forbearance with Moses. And he, he reassures Moses. He says, now you will see what I will do. I think the emphasis all in chapter 6 is one letter word, I. If you were to circle that, you spend a lot of time drawing circles throughout chapter 6, at least the first part of it. I want you to see that. The emphasis is on the I, but it's not a man speaking. It's God. I will. I referring to God. Is he the emphasis in your life? In other words, God is saying, Moses is saying, God, I, I, this is messed up. I can't do it. I won't do it. Why do, would you call me to do this? And God is saying to Moses, the key is not you, Moses. It's me. I want you to focus your attention on me. Sometimes my grandchildren are playing and one of them gets hurt. And they injure their finger or their hand, and they come to me. And you can see their, their, their tears are in their eye, eyes, and they're just breaking out and crying. And one of the things that I do, once I know kind of what a, a sense for what that injury is, I, look at me. Look at me. Because what they're doing, and I try to break their attention from the hand to me. Look at me. And it's amazing. When they look at me, some of the crying subsides. Not because they feel better automatically, but because they've changed their focus. They change their focus from themselves to somebody they know can help them. This is what God is doing. So Moses talks, but the Lord says, now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. You went up there and you did your little thing. I told you to do that. And it didn't work, right? Nothing happened. He says, now you'll see what I will do. He says, for with a strong hand, he will send them out. He referring to Pharaoh, but the strong hand referring to God. It's almost like he said, because of a strong hand, because of my strong hand is what he's really saying there. He, Pharaoh, will send them out. Because of my strong hand, he will drive them out of his land. It's like he, he, He's going to get to the point where he can't wait to get rid of them. He's resistant to doing that right now, but I am going to change things. I want you to see how God does this. Starting at verse 2, God begins to speak to Moses, and I want you to see the emphasis, that one-letter word. In fact, he says it three different ways. And here's where we see that Moses' focus should be, and as well, where our focus ought to be. God tells Moses, I have, excuse me, he tells him, I am, I have, and I will. I am, I have, and I will. He says in verse 2, I am the Lord. He's breaking out, in essence, a new name for himself. God uses his name to speak of his character. And names do that. We were talking in our Sunday school review of some of the names and how they, they spoke of a characteristic, in that case, a physical characteristic of, of Esau, was that he was hairy and red. Spoke of his characteristic. God's name speaks of his characteristics as well. I am, he says, I am the Lord. 
I am the one who has always existed. So I've existed in eternity past. We don't say just past, but eternity past. In other words, you can keep going back and back and back, and you'll never be a time, there never will be a time or when God did not exist. Now, I, we can't understand that. But it's true, because we can't understand all of who God is. In other words, God is saying, well, you know, I didn't just come around lately. I'm not new to the scene. This ain't my first rodeo. I know what I'm doing. I am the one who has existed all along, and I'm here right now. I'm here in the present, and I will be in the future. I am the Lord. He says in verse 3, I appeared to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He will continually, we see that reminder of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob because God made a promise to Abraham and in Genesis chapter 3, chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, he says, Abraham, through you, I am going to bless all nations of the world. That is a huge promise. And how does he fulfill that? He fulfills that through Abraham's son, the Lord Jesus Christ. It is through Jesus that God blesses every, all nations in the world. Anyone from any nation that comes to trust in Christ will have their whole eternity changed. Jesus, by the way, is the only one that brings that change and brings that hope. So God continually refers to what he had promised to fulfill to Abraham. He reassured Isaac after Abraham, and then he, he went along with Isaac's son, Jacob. He says, I'm the God who made a promise, a commitment, a covenant to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And he says, I'm planning on keeping that. Even though that, hundred, that, that, that covenant was 400 years ago, I haven't forgotten it. And I'm stepping up right now to fulfill that covenant. He says in verse 4, I also established my covenant with them. In verse 5, he says, I've heard the groaning of the people of Israel. Remember the emphasis on I. God is saying, I've heard. What the people of Israel have, have said, I know what they have been experiencing. And in verse 5, I have remembered my covenant. A covenant is a promise. And God is reminding, you ever ask somebody who owes you money? They never remind you that they owe you money. You got to go and remind them. Hey, man, remember that $20 I loaned you? Oh, yeah, yeah right. I ain't forgotten. But this is kind of different. God is saying, I'm reminding you of what I promised. I haven't forgotten it. I'm not trying to go the other way and slip out the door so you don't see me. Hey, hey, what about that promise you made? God is saying, I'm reminding you of the promise I made 400 years ago. Even though I didn't make it directly to you, I made it for you. I made it to your forefathers, and I still plan on keeping it, God is saying. So God is saying he is the one who has promised to the descendants of Moses that he's going to do this thing that he's going to start doing right now. And he says specifically what it is he's promised to do. In verse 6, I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. On Wednesday, we were talking about the promises of God, and we, we ought to be specific. We ought to understand specifically what God is saying. In, this, in, in Exodus, a lot of people have spiritualized so many things out of Exodus that it no longer has any real meaning. We need to know exactly what God has promised. And it strips, it strips Scripture of its profound meaning. This story of Exodus points to what God has, it, he uses what he has done with his people Israel to point to what he will do. And now we look back on what he has already accomplished through his son, Jesus Christ, for all his people from all the nations. 
That's a huge thing, folks. That, that, that's a big deal. And we don't trivialize it by making it like, you know, God has promised, you know, to, to give you a paycheck on Friday. God has promised to heal your sickness. That, that might not seem like a trivial thing, but has he specifically promised you that? He's promised way more than that. And here he's pointing to his promise that are, that are all pointing to the Lord Jesus Christ. So he says, I'll bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. Verse 6, I will deliver you from slavery. Verse 6, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. Verse 7, I will take you to be my people. Verse 7, I will be your God. Verse 8, I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham. And I will give it to you for a possession in verse 8. God is very specific. First of all, notice the eyes. He's saying, I will do this. I will bring this about. It's a promise that's based on God, his power. He's a God who cannot lie. He's a God who's omnipotent. In other words, he's got all power. He can fulfill what he said he will fulfill. And he's reassuring Moses with this again. So the answer to the question, Moses says, why did you have me talk to Pharaoh and now nothing's happening? And I just feel totally useless. Where do we go from here? And God is saying, to Moses as he's saying to us today, focus on me. Look at who I am, what I have done, and what I will do, what I'm promising to do right now. Now specifically, God has promised to take those who trust in Jesus Christ, in his death and his resurrection, he's promised to give them life, to give them eternal life, to forgive them of their sins and give them a place in heaven with him. I don't have to try to puff up those promises anymore because they are all that they need to be. He has promised to give us victory over sin, over death, and over hell. And besides that, he's promised to be with us through our journey in this life. So he reassures Moses. But look what happens in verse 9. He's telling Moses, go tell the people who I am, what I've done, and what I said I will do. And it says in verse 9, Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel. But they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. That's the condition that we find ourselves in so often. Because of our own circumstances, we, we do not or cannot or don't actually listen to what God is saying. Satan tries to wrap up in the troubles of our life to where we can't hear what God has to say. God is speaking. He's speaking loud and clear, but... Oftentimes, we got, we're so, our, our lives are so drama-filled. Everything else is going on that we're not paying attention to what God has said. Satan always tries to choke out the message of God. In this case, he's using everyday struggles. Talk to people who are working so hard they can't come to church. I don't say to them, you, you're working too hard. <laughs> what, what I really want to say to them, you put the emphasis on the wrong thing. Well, pastor, I got to work. I got to make money. I got to eat. 
Certainly you do. And God knows that as well. You haven't figured out how to trust God in all of that. Nobody telling you to stay home from work and not work at all. But you ought to put God first in all that you do. You ought to, to, to look at him and the emphasis ought to be on him, who he is and what he's done and obey him. He hasn't given you something to do that in his strength you cannot do. Now remember that because I'm going to say something that sounds totally different than that in just a minute. <laughs> Moses has been given something to do that he can't possibly do. <laughs> now, if you run the tape back and you hear those two statements I just made, you're going to go, huh? God often gives us something to do that is impossible for us to do, and here it is, in our own strength. Look at what God had called Moses to do. He says, look, I am going to have you speak, persuade, and convince a people with broken spirit. And Moses knows exactly what that's like. He's saying, God, I'm talking to them, but they so broke down, they, they can't hear what I'm saying. God has given Moses a, a task that's greater than he is. He's also got this challenge. God clearly tells him, I want you to go and command Pharaoh to let my people go. <laughs> He's got to command a powerful, obstinate king. How's that going to turn out? Well, we see how it turned out. Pharaoh says, who are you and who is this Lord you're talking about? Some people lazy. I'm giving them more work to do. They got time to listen to you. They got time to get the straw for their own bricks. And it gets worse for them. God has given Moses a task that's impossible for him to do. And that's why he says in the key in verse 6 or chapter 6 verse 1, now you will see what I will do. You will see that I've given you something to do that you can't possibly do in your own strength. Therefore, you have to rely on me. You're going to watch and see what I do. Why? Because God is jealous. God wants to get the glory for what goes down in your life. He should. He made you and he saved you. He wants the glory for what comes out of your life. And he says, you're going to get this victory by my power. It's with a powerful hand, not your negotiation. It's not your charisma to challenge the people. You know, we sometimes think of Moses as this great leader. He's going to come and he's going to woo the people to do. He's going to inspire the people to rise from the chains of slavery and walk to victory. Look. That ain't Moses is doing. And we need to stop looking for another human Moses in our own lives, whether it's political Moses or, 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 or whether it's economic Moses who's going to come and rise and raise us up out of the depths of whatever it is. We need to look to God. Moses needed to realize that and to look to God. Now, I know we think we know that, and, and we do know it, but it's the difference between knowing it and now living it out. Because Moses had, had gone through that point in his life where he's like, hey, I, I know what I need to know, and now I'm going to go help my people. He saw one of, the, one, one of the, the, the brothers struggling. He saw an Egyptian hurting his brother. He, he stepped in. He, he, he used what he knew and what he had, and, and he, he rectified that situation. But it got him into more trouble. It got him into more trouble. He ended up having to run away from home. And so it was not by his great leadership that this was going to happen, 
Moses indeed was a great leader, but it's not by his great leadership that this was going to happen. God was going to do this by his outstretched hand, by his powerful hand. Again, two things that Moses had to do that were impossible for him to do is to encourage a downtrodden uh, 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 a people who, who, who were just, their spirits were broken. And the second thing was to command an obstinate king, the most powerful man in the world of his day. Moses was going in there, giving him a command. That looks impossible. It is, apart from what God is going to do. Now, verses 10 through 13 really give us a help. Let me just read them. So the Lord said to Moses, go in, tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let my people of Israel go out of his land. It is a command. Go and tell Pharaoh. Don't ask him for permission. Tell him. Give this king a command to let my people go. Moses understands this now, verse 12. Moses said to the Lord, behold, the people of Israel have not listened to me. How then shall Pharaoh listen to me? I say that with a little attitude because I think that's how Moses felt. He said, God, come on. I can't even convince my own people to follow me or to follow you or that you are going to do what you said you're going to do. How, what chance of, do, do I have to convince Pharaoh to command him to do something? And he says this, for I am of uncircumcised lips. What does he mean there? He says, I can't talk. I'm not an eloquent speaker. In other words, isn't Moses in fact saying, I, I'm not a charismatic leader. I don't have this charisma to bring about, to influence and to motivate, to challenge people. You know, today, I think we, we put a lot on charisma. And I, I, granted, I think a leader has charisma and needs it to, to move a people. But they didn't move because of Moses' charisma. In fact, his own charisma was based on something else. It wasn't this stuff that he had. You know what gave Moses props? God did what he said he would do. <laughs> he went in front of Pharaoh and said, look, um, you, I'm going to throw this rod down here and uh, let's just see what happens. <laughs> After a while, Pharaoh began to respect what Moses did, not because of the character of Moses, but because of the power of God. And we're going to see that unfold as we get further and further along in, in, in our series. But I just wanted to, to note that to you. Now, here's something that, that, that God says to Moses. And, and uh, it says, verse 13, but the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, gave them a charge. He gave them a charge about two things. He gave them a charge about the people of Israel and about Pharaoh, king of Egypt. These are the two challenges. These are the two impossible missions that, that Moses has. God gives him a charge about them. Now, it doesn't tell us in this text what that charge is, but it actually does if we look at all of this together. Moses is saying, God, look, I haven't even been able to convince my people how... What chance do I have to convince Pharaoh? And so God gives him a charge about both of these people. What is that charge to them? Here it is. God is sovereign over both. God holds the power and he is able to persuade both his people and their adversary. That's why we ought to trust in him. God is able, in other words, God is able to move in the hearts of people who don't care, don't believe in him, and don't trust in him, as well as the hearts of his own people, which we later find out 
many of them did not really believe and trust and follow God. They ended up dying in the wilderness in those 40 years. You'll, you'll read that as you go through. God is able to move the hearts of people, of leaders. He's able to control whatever there is that needs to be changed. He is able to do that, and he does that for his glory. Again, he says in verse 1, now you're going to see what I will do to Pharaoh. <laughs> Pharaoh continues to be obstinate, and God uses that. The Bible says God hardened his heart. God uses that for his own glory. You're going to see what God is going to do. The later the latter part of chapter 6 deals with the genealogy of Moses and Aaron. And you heard me struggle with all those names. You can see y'all smiling while I was trying to read them. Wondering what do all these names mean. It is the genealogy of Moses and Aaron. He doesn't give the whole uh, genealogy of the tribe of Israel. He just gives... Three tribes there. You'll see him talk about uh, Simeon, or Reuben, Simeon, and Levi. And then he focuses on the tribe of Levi. Levi is the priestly tribe. The Levites were the priests that God had ordained from this tribe to, to lead his people. And we see that Moses and Aaron came from that tribe. And so God is identifying, the word of God is identifying um, the, the, the tree, the family tree of both Moses and Aaron. So we learned that they're from the tribe of Levi, the priestly tribe. In Hebrews chapter 3, verses 1 through 3, I'm going to turn there, have you turn in, just look briefly. It's only three verses, so let's just um, put a bookmarker in Exodus 6 and turn to Hebrews um, chapter 3. The whole book of Hebrews shows the supremacy of Jesus Christ. He is greater than the angels. He is greater than the human priest. Um, he has a greater covenant than his new covenant is greater than the old covenant. And, and it just goes on to do that. In this passage in chapter 3, he's showing that Jesus is greater than Moses. Moses representing the priests. Verse Chapter 3, verse 1 in Hebrew says, Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. But Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. Moses, indeed, was from the priestly line. Jesus was from the tribe of Judah. But he's greater than any priest and greater than the highest, which would Moses would represent the highest in, in, in the human line of the priests. This Jesus is greater than him. The second thing, um, going back to Exodus 6, this genealogy shows to us, is something that sticks out when you read it. Um, in verse 26, these are the Aaron and Moses to whom the Lord said, bring out the people of Israel. He goes through this line, this genealogy, this family tree, and he says, hey, this, this is the Aaron and Moses. In verse 27, it was they who spoke to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, about bringing out the people of Israel from Egypt. This Moses and this Aaron, he's saying in some ways they didn't really stick out from their tribe except that God had chosen them to do this job. And so in some ways they are insignificant. 
uh, Moses is like the least in his family. Aaron is older than him by three years. You'll find that uh, later on. Um, his sister Miriam is older than him. If, if that's the same sister who, who was sent to watch him when he was a baby put into the Nile, we know she was older. That's the same one. And so it's like Moses is the least of even them in his own household. But God likes to do great things <laughs> through insignificant people. Tell yourself that when you look in the mirror. You are insignificant, yes, but God is significant. He likes to do things in such a way that he gets the glory. There's something else that gets my attention at the last, the last verse, the last part of this chapter. In chapter 6, he kind of rehearses what had happened. He says in verse 28, On the day when the Lord spoke to Moses in the land of Egypt, the Lord said to Moses, I am the Lord. Tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, all that I say to you. But Moses said to the Lord, Behold, I am of uncircumcised lips. How will Pharaoh listen to me? So this is kind of rehearsing what we saw in the entire chapter. Look at what Moses is saying. He's saying, God, I'm not an eloquent speaker. I'm not charismatic. I'm, I'm not this leader who can just lift people out by, by their own presence. You know, we, we, we like today those kind of leaders. They just look the part. They make us feel confident in them. And, they, you know, it's like we, we'll just do anything for them or, or, or join with them almost in any cause. We think that those are the kind of leaders that God calls. But God is actually showing us, look, it ain't the human leader that is the real key. In fact, he's saying the human leader is, is who he is because of who I am. That's why he has the charisma that he has, simply because I have worked and my power is shown in him. But God said, I, I can use anything. So don't get enamored with the human leader. Trust God. Trust God. Moses is saying, but, but God, you're giving me this task, and, and I don't have the talent, the skill, the gift to bring this about. I know in, 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 in our companies and, you know, we look for personnel, and sports does this too. We, we, we want that person who, who's got all this gift and all this ability, and we think, wow, when we find him, that's the one that's going to carry us through. But both in sports and in, 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 in the world in general, we see it's filled with people who had just average skill, gift, and ability. But God used in, in, in just amazing, extraordinary ways. And I think that's just Moses. We see in this line and we're saying, hey, he's just a guy. He's just a guy from this tribe. But this is the one that God chose. This is the one that God is going to use. And the secret is not him. The secret is God. It is his power at work. He says to Moses, now you're going to see what I will do. Yeah, You're you just an average guy. In fact, you're below average when it comes to speaking. Moses himself said, well, you know, God, you got to find somebody else because I can't even speak. Isn't that, isn't, isn't that required of any great leader? He's got to woo us with his, with his oral capacity and, and abilities. God is saying, I, I don't need that. He said, I can use anybody. I'll use you and have Aaron speak for you. And I'm still going to accomplish what I said well, I will accomplish. Break it down, folks. Here it is. It's not based on your gift and your ability. Stop telling God you aren't this and you aren't that. He made you. He knows what you ain't. In fact, he said, you're right. You're not. We want God to come back and say, oh, you ain't that bad. You want to pat us on the back. God is saying, that's just the kind of thing I use. When you humble yourself to say, Yes, God, I'm not this great this and that. It's the people who have the gift and, and begin to think that they are something. 
We're talking in our Sunday school class today about the false teachers. They, they are often very charismatic. That's why they get people to drink the Kool-Aid. <laughs> That's why they get people to follow them in ways we go, you got to be crazy if you follow what that dude said. The dude was very, very charismatic. He was very, very persuasive. And God often does not use that type of person. He tells us in 1 Corinthians, few gifted, talented, amazingly talented people are used. Why? Because God gets the glory for himself. In fact, let's turn there. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Didn't intend to look at that, but I, I just need to, to, to have you look very briefly at it. Verse 28 Excuse me, verse 26, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. If you're turning there or have already turned, just say amen. amen. So I know where you are. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 28. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise. Now, he's not saying we all dummies. <laughs> There's some who have been exceptionally gifted. But it ain't based on their gift. And not many of the total fit that category. Not many of you were wise according to the worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are. Now, why did he do it this way? So that no human being. Now, I just want you to kind of circle, uh, underline that in your thought at least. So that no human being, that includes you, that includes me. So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. He's saying to Moses, I chose you because you are slow of speech. I chose you because you're not eloquent. I chose you because you're not very charismatic. Today, we think a person has to command a crowd. I was watching an uh, uh, advertisement today to teach leaders how to get the attention of the people that they speak to. And I thought, well, you know, that's, that's obviously that's a good trait to have. But... <laughs> We look at leaders in one way, and God looks in another way. God is saying, nope, you don't need that to be a leader of my people. You don't have to come with that gift in your hand. I will give you what you need because it's going to be based on my power. But he says, pay attention. I'm doing it so that I will get the glory. Not that you stand out and everybody say, look at him, how powerful, how persuasive he is. God is saying he does it so that he gets the glory. God is saying to us, he's reassuring us not patting us on the back on who we are, but pointing us to himself. When Moses felt insecure and unsure about doing the job that God called him to do, God is basically saying, that's exactly what I want you to feel. Insecure and unsure, but obedient to me. Trusting in me. The confidence that we have is in God. And let me say this, that confidence is in his sure promise. Now, I think confidence is something that we've made up of ourselves, our agenda that we slap God's agenda attached to and say, be confident in this. He says, no, the confidence is in God, his power to perform what he has promised, the very specifics of it. He says, I will do this. I will bring my people out of slavery, I will be their God. They will be my people. I will lead them to the land that I promised them. I will fulfill this. He's also saying, I will 
defeat their enemy. I will give them victory in that case. That victory is dependent on me, God says, and on his power. Trust God. God has given us leaders, but not for their own glory. Leaders struggle through the same things that you struggle with. And leaders have to learn how to trust in God. Father, we pray that you would speak your word, settle it in our hearts, so that we begin to follow you. Let us not confuse your message. But let us focus our eyes on you, on who you are, what you have done in the past, and what you've promised to do. We thank you that you fulfilled your promise in your son, Jesus Christ. And this story is pointing us to the Lord Jesus Christ. That we are to trust in him that we are to commit our lives to him, obey him, and follow him, live for him. We thank you for your truth and your word, and we pray, Lord, that in those areas of specific in our lives, that you might open our eyes to see, so that we might learn, you know, how we ought to respond to you in every area of our lives. There's people today, Lord, asking you for specific situations. Maybe it's on their job, maybe it's in their home, in their family, maybe in their marriage, or maybe they're looking for marriage. Whatever it is, Lord, that they would look to you, trust you, that you would lead them step by step. You may not unveil, you may not unveil the whole plan at once to them, but you have promised you would direct your people and you will be with your people. You saved us for a purpose, Father. And we pray that you would just help us to see, step by step as we follow you, what that purpose is. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen.